Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. I'm Dana and Christina is here. Hi. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about boundary setting for self-care. So a very important topic in uh, light of the whole world events. (laughs) But also, um, it's a really good thing to think about for the fall as we are accumulating a lot of new things on our plates. Um, And sometimes that can feel like a lot. Most of the time it feels like a lot. So we wanted to give you all some suggestions with our amazing guest Jocelyn Hampshire, um, for how to set those boundaries and, like she says, not be a dick about it. (laughs) So some of the things she's talking about today are um, boundary setting as a way to protect our mental health, boundary setting around body image and dieting conversations. The analogy that I really love that she talks about is boundary setting is taking care of your side of the street versus an ultimatum, which is really trying to control someone else's side of the street. So... Before we jump into the interview with Jocelyn, we wanted to uh, talk about our recommendations for the week and tell you a little bit about uh, what's been going on and how we've been implementing Jocelyn's boundary setting recommendations in our own lives. But I think one thing for me around this too that I find to be kind of frustrating is that a lot of times we think of self-care as as kind of commercialized self-care and I really love how Jocelyn talks about the real nitty-gritty self-care and around boundaries and how important it is um and I have to say it's hard to implement if you're not used to implementing it and especially when you feel like you're gonna let someone else down like that's definitely something that's hard for me to set boundaries with especially if you are a people pleaser type person (laughs) I am that person and I've been to therapy to talk about it <laughs> plenty of times. But yeah, I think that that's make it makes it really hard sometimes as setting those boundaries. And so I gotta be honest with everyone, like this is a a a process, you know, <laughs> like of practicing. And I really think anytime you dip your toes into some kind of boundary setting, you're doing you're doing good, you know, like just practicing. And um, so I had a really great experience with executing some of Jocelyn's recommendations that leads to something that I finally had the capacity to listen to that I now want to recommend everyone else listen to. So um, a few weeks ago, we had just gotten back from like tons of different vacations and traveling around and we like Elodie had gotten sick and I was, I thankfully didn't get sick, not COVID thankfully, but we all had like normal colds, like summer colds. That was awful. Um, and we had been traveling and I think truthfully it was just run down kind of feelings and we were supposed to go on another family trip. Um, and I felt awful about it. Like I didn't want to go. And I, I was like, I love the people that I'm going to see. I don't not want to go see them. It has nothing to do with that at all. But there was like this big part of me that didn't really want to go. And I, 
I sat down with Casey and I talked to him about it and I said it has nothing to do with not wanting to be at the destination. I'd probably be happy. It's all of the rigmarole like <laughs> surrounding getting there and getting back and everything. And um, so I did a really hard thing for me and I decided not to go. And Casey took Elodie on his own and went. And I put on my big girl pants and I called my family member that we were going to go visit. And I said, I'm not coming and I still love you. (laughs) And it's not personal. I just need time for myself. And you know what? I was really scared to do it. And everyone was on board. Like everyone was super supportive. And when I called them, they said, I got you. Like I totally get it. I've definitely felt this way. No hard feelings. I hope to see you soon. I'm so excited that Elodie's coming. And let's face it, they really just wanted to see Elodie anyways. Like everyone, that's what happens when you have kids. No one really cares if you're there. It's really more like bring your child here. And or dogs. <laughs> They're and like, you want dogs. your pets. You're fine, I guess. <laughs> you're cool. But really, we want the entertainment of your child um, and or pets. And um, and Elodie and Billy are a really good time to hang out with. They're both really energized and fun, so I get it. But you know what was cool about it is that it gave me the weekend off, like, to do whatever I wanted to do. And I hadn't felt that way in a really long time, like, having, like, being able to do whatever I wanted to do. And a client of mine had recommended a podcast, Glennon Doyle's pod- new podcast, called We Can Do Hard Things. And I listened to it, and I loved it also love her love her sister but christina still has not read her book yet no i haven't read untamed (laughs) i've been told to read it a million times mostly by me dana (laughs) mainly mainly by dana um to read to read it and i haven't done it but i know that i would love it you should just audiobook it because it seems for you like the listening medium is definitely easier and better you're right. It is way more easy for me. I don't know why. The idea of – I have – I own so many books and so many work-related books too that I just – that just sit there. Sometimes I thumb through them. Like, and that's how I, I think of <laughs> – I have I have a stack of books piled on my nightstand, like wish list of book items. <laughs> Like things that I believe I'm going to listen, like I'm going to read. These at are some my point. aspirations. <laughs> but inevitably, inevitably, um, I never read a book. Like I even went out and got night, like nightstand lamps next to our bed, so that we could read in bed. And it never happens. I always end up watching like Dream Home Makeover or. Something. Something in bed or flipping through and like pretending that I'm gonna buy all the things that are in my cart at Madewell or something, and that's what <laughs> it's about. <laughs> and I don't end up reading them, but I did listen to We Can Do Hard Things, and I have to say, I recommend it to everyone. It's awesome. And if her book is even a smidge as cool as her podcast, and it's pop- her book's probably even cooler than her podcast, um everyone's gonna love it and I and I also I honestly want to say it's almost like a must listen to thing too she did a really cool one on beauty which was awesome but I really loved that one and then she also did another one on sex which was cool with Abby and she was so cute about it she she was like this is a very uncomfortable conversation she's sitting there with her wife and there she's 
Glennon said that she was sitting in a closet having the conversation in a completely different, separate space from Abby. And I was thinking the whole time to myself, I really wish that I could be friends with them. (laughs) That's how much I liked her. So I recommend everyone listen to We Can Do Hard Things and also practice setting boundaries. That was my experience with recent boundary setting. It was big, but it felt so good. Um, Mine is kind of a funny story of like a self-care slash boundary setting mashup type thing. Ooh, um, I love a good mash. So when I feel overwhelmed or stressed, one of the things that really helps me is doing some gentle stretching or yoga. And I do it almost every day, like just random 10-minute YouTube videos and whatever, right? Dana's so so much more One of my best friends is actually a yoga teacher at Core Power Yoga. And I told her that sometime I would love to come to her class. Way back in the day when I was much more of a type A personality and obsessed with exercise, I used to go to Core Power Yoga all the time to their like sculpt class or whatever, which is like hot yoga with weights. And I was like, that's not what I need, right? So I asked her and was like, hey, do you have any like restorative yoga classes that I could come to? And she's like, oh yeah, come to Hot Power Fusion with me. It's kind of like... um, like a yin yoga and it's warm in there so it stretches your muscles out and like there is some flowing but not really a lot and like that sounds like exactly what I need and she raves about this class like people rave about her class so I was like okay cool I'm gonna go with you so we go to this class and it's me and one of my other friends um Jason from our gym and so (laughs) we walk in I'm like wow it's pretty hot in here And Jason's like, yeah, but like, you know, it'll just help you relax more and get into your muscles. And I'm like, okay. Nothing about that sounds relaxing. Well, so I have been (laughs) in in warm restorative yoga classes and it's fine. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. From the beginning, I was like, oh my God, this is too hot for doing anything but laying out on a beach (laughs) and being able to go to the water. And even then you're spritzed with water. The intention was there, right? Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to feel great after doing an hour yoga class, whatever. That is not what happened. (laughs) Narrator. This is not how it went, right? So, and this was like a couple weeks ago. And she keeps nagging me to go back with her. And I'm like, ma'am, you told me during that class and all of your students that if you are feeling too hot or overheated to either sit down with your towel or lay down on the mat in Shavasana just to kind of like relax and calm your heart rate down. I was doing that for maybe half of the class. So this is not the class for me. And she's like, no, even today she was texting me. She's like, come on, give it another chance. And I was like, I will give you a chance, a 0% chance. That is my boundary. I am not coming back to that class because it wasn't restorative at all for me. I thought it would be stress relieving. That class created more stress for me. I feel like my adrenaline levels and epinephrine and everything were just like through the roof. So my boundary setting, if you try something, especially because a lot of people are like trying new things and gentle movement and whatever. If you try something and you have that visceral of a reaction to it, you don't need to go back. (laughs) It's okay. Even if one of your very good friends is the instructor from the class, be like, hey, you did nothing wrong. You are a great teacher. This is just not for me. So that's my boundary. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I really love that. Also, it sounds so anxiety producing. I would have felt the exact same way. I don't want to lay out in a 110 degree room with 40% of humidity if there's not a cabana involved. It doesn't sound relaxing. That sounds awful. So 
she didn't tell me this. <laughs> I have so done there was a real bait and Bikram switch. yoga before. Like I have done yeah. hot yoga. Like I have done all these things. Those are uncomfortable but manageable. This was, mm-hmm. I feel like I might pass out. And they say in there, which makes sense, they're like, try not to go outside into the air conditioning if you it's can. system. Because it's such a shock to your nervous system of going, it's basically like being in a hot tub, jumping in the snow, going back in the hot tub, going back in the snow, which like we used to do for fun as kids. But yeah, do not recommend. Um, oh my gosh. So that is my boundary setting um, advice for the week. Unrelated recommendations from <laughs> me. <laughs> One recommendation is a local one, so I will give this for people who live in the DMV (coughs) or if you're traveling through, um, and then I'll give a general recommendation. So the first local one is this amazing family-owned, super authentic Vietnamese restaurant that, and these other friends and I go almost every Friday since restaurants have opened up again. If the four of us are in town together, we are going to this restaurant on Fridays. Um, It's called Mila Kai. It's an amazing restaurant. I get the same thing every single week, <laughs> which is a bowl of pho, which is Vietnamese rice noodle soup Love. with a gluten-free Vietnamese red fried chicken thigh on top. If you have celiac <laughs> or you are exclusively gluten-free for whatever reason, it is rare if in your entire life you ever get to experience a true really good fried chicken. And this is what that is. And it is so good. I woke up this morning thinking about this, knowing that we will be going there tonight because we're recording this on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, I'm not that far away. I think I might need to come down. You should come down <laughs> and we will go. It is so good. I have gotten three different dishes there. One, I only got one time and I was like, nope, it's not as good as the chicken. I'm not getting that. The other two that I alternate between are the pho bowl, so the rice noodle soup bowl with the chicken, or I get a rice bowl with the chicken. That's it. Because <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Gotta get that chicken. Um, you're making me crave fried chicken, and I think I might, Casey makes a mean fried chicken, and I might say, can we make me fried chicken? <laughs> <laughs> okay, before this goes on for too long, let me give you guys the other yeah. recommendation. So um, I have talked about this cookbook recommendation with, probably every single one of my clients. Um, It is for Cassie Joy Garcia, who is fed and fit on Instagram. She has a cookbook called Cook Once, Eat All Week, um, which is really great for a non-diet, non-restrictive way to get back into really easy meal planning and preparing throughout the week. Um, And she just had the kind of sequel or follow-up to that cookbook come out called Cook Once, Dinner Fix, which is basically where you make all the ingredients for one meal and then some of those ingredients you save and you transform those into a completely different meal the next night or whenever you are making the second recipe um so that comes out on september 15th i believe which is actually the day that this episode comes out so that is perfect (laughs) um so i haven't actually cooked anything from the book yet but i was flipping through it because i just got it yesterday um I got an advanced copy. Thank you, Cassie, for sending that to me. Um, but yeah, highly recommend. Her food is always really good. I would follow her on Instagram. She makes amazing food. Her kids and dogs are really cute. And she's not like, you know, diet in your face kind of thing. I remember her first book coming out. And you bring you brought it to Virginia when I was down there. And oh, you yeah. showed it to me. And it looked awesome. Yeah, it I was like, so you need this. You. And every single one of your clients needs this. <laughs> well, there you go. 
Um, so yeah, today we're talking about boundary setting for yeah. self-care with Jocelyn. And we get it. It can be hard to do them and to execute it, but you know, if we can do it, you can try. You at least try, you know, and then if it doesn't work, then that's just not a tool that was the right tool for your toolbox, right? Totally. There's another tool. Yes. Okay. And now we tools. will get into the episode with Jocelyn. Well, Jocelyn, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. We are really excited to have you. So if you could introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit, tell us a little bit about you and your journey to starting your business, Courageous Living. So my name is Jocelyn Hampshire. I am a licensed professional counselor and I run a private practice in Arizona doing strictly telehealth. So people in their homes, me in my home, casual environment, I work with a variety of issues, a lot of anxiety, depression, but most of all trauma. So my background is actually from the Meadows, which is in Wickenburg, Arizona, which is a world-renowned treatment center where they focus on trauma and addiction and really look at the root cause and not just band-aids for the symptoms. So that is a lot of my work is I don't want to just do some talk therapy that'll put a band-aid on it that you may be able to use for a little while until the band-aid falls off. We want to actually heal the wound and do the surgery that needs to be done. I also live on a farm. So I have lots of animals out back, pigs, chickens, horses, goats, all the things. And we try to grow a lot of our own food in that process. Um, Yeah, that's a little bit about me. I started Courageous Living actually because I am a clinical supervisor in Arizona And one of my former supervisees asked me if I would supervise him in a private practice setting. And that meant that I had to open a private practice. And so I did. And then as my kids have gotten older, I've just taken on more clients and grown from there. One thing I I wanted to go back to is um, you mentioned how you work on trauma and how you you really dive deep into what you call the surgery that needs to happen, right? And um, I'd love to have you define trauma a little bit because a lot of people, I think, feel like the word is a little bit intimidating and kind of something that they themselves don't relate to, but maybe there's more to it that if they learned a broader definition of what trauma could be, I think they think about it a lot of times. It's like a very acute situation. Yeah, so... My training is with Pia Melody and her definition of trauma is anything less than nurturing. So that is a really broad definition, but that incorporates all of the little T traumas. So those like littler things that maybe we don't think had a big impact, but they did, or a lot of little things over time that grew to be what we know as a big T trauma, which would be like a car accident or some kind of very severe abuse. Um, so that definition encompasses all of it and all of it really does impact us. So, you know, if we go from the wound analogy, maybe it is just a little scrape, but that scrape may be digging in deep in areas we don't know, or it may impact other areas that we now know that we have to work on, if that makes sense. And I feel like maybe you could share, but I feel like all the little T's can add up to a big T too. And I know that we see that a lot in eating disorder work. Yes. So I have actually worked with a lot of clients where they're like, they come to me and they're like, I don't have any trauma. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, okay, well, let's dive into that. 
you know, what are some times when you felt like you didn't matter? So maybe it wasn't a like big event that triggered something, but lots of little instances where they felt like they weren't worthy or they didn't matter. And they might not be able to isolate all those exact memories, but if that's a theme growing up, that's trauma. Because somehow as that little kid, you did not get your needs met. And so you develop this belief of, I don't matter. And of course, I don't wanna like parent bash or family bash or any of that because I have worked with hundreds of thousands of people and no one that I know has woken up and say, how can I screw up my kid today? Like they all do the best they can with what they know at the time. And as those kids, we may have interpreted it one way, something may have happened and we get this message and regardless of how it got set up, whether it was intentional or not, we still have the trauma and we still have the message that we need to work through because it's impacting us now as adults. But it's really important to remember that trauma is not stored in the left brain. And the left brain is like that talking logical part of the brain. Trauma is more often than not stored in the right part of the brain. And so talk therapy won't touch it very well. So that's why we have experiential methods like equine therapy. So I'm an equine therapist and sometimes you got to move your body and then work out there with the horses and it gets you out of that left brain experience so that you could do the healing for the right brain. Um, other modalities could be art therapy that again, trigger that side of the brain or EMDR, which we can talk about more if you want, or somatic experiencing, all of those different modalities will help in a way that talk therapy will not help because talk therapy can only get us so far in our trauma. One of the things that I know you love to talk about in addition to trauma, right? So one of the ways that we can prevent or at least set up the best situation possible for this to not happen again. And we're, this is more of those like microaggressions, right? Like you can never really prevent like a massive event from happening. But so you had recently posted on Instagram the quote, we tell people how to treat us by the boundaries that we set. And we thought that was so fantastic to talk about. So can you elaborate on what you meant by that post and what it means to have healthy boundaries? Yes. So I am a big fan of boundaries and boundaries are about protecting ourselves. So they're not about controlling or changing or trying to control anyone on their side of the street. It is really about keeping our side of the street clean and making sure our interactions with others are a way that support us. So when I'm when I'm setting these boundaries, what I'm saying is this is how I, if I'm going to be in relationship with you, this is how I'm going to be treated. If you cross those boundaries, then I need to set some limits because I'm not okay being treated that way. And so when we don't have boundaries, what happens is we allow whatever anyone says or does to get in our space and impact us. So if I don't have boundaries, I may let someone scream and yell at me. I may let someone go through my stuff without asking. I may allow those microaggressions to occur and not address them. And what I, the message that I'm sending when I'm doing that is that it's okay. Versus if I set those boundaries, then what I'm saying is I will not be yelled at. And if it continues, I'm going to step outside of the room. I'm going to hang up the phone. So I'm telling them, hey, I'm not going to be treated that way. Now I can't control whether they continue it or not but I can control my behavior and whether I continue to allow it. So I may step out of the room, like I said, I may choose to end the relationship. I may choose to set some more guideposts to protect myself. So that's what I mean by we tell people how to treat us by the boundaries we set because our boundaries really are a way of 
kind of guiding our interactions with others. I think sometimes people can find setting hard boundaries as kind of being like an ultimatum, right? And so I'd love for you to talk about how boundary setting is different from ultimatums. So like I said before, boundaries are about protecting ourselves. So they are keeping our side of the street clean, whereas an ultimatum is trying to control someone on their side of the street. So all I can control is my motives and where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place of I love myself enough to not engage in healthy, unhealthy interactions versus an ultimatum is you change your behavior or we're done. So it may look the same on the outside, but it's the inside work that helps determine whether or not it's an ultimatum or a boundary. Perfect. Thank you. I, um, that was a very clear like delineation. I really like the, um, on their side of the street versus your side of the street. So I think that really makes a big difference. So how can someone start to tell if maybe their boundaries are being crossed or they haven't even been set in any place at all, <laughs> which was totally me <laughs> back in my early twenties, zero boundaries, let anything go. I tolerated it all. Uncommunicated boundaries are premeditated resentment. So when we have this, you know, this expect, well, it's actually uncommunicated expectations are premeditated resentments. Um, but what that means is if we're not communicating our boundaries, we are setting everyone around us up to fail because we have this expectation of how this interaction is going to go. And when it doesn't go that way, we have this resentment, but no one is a mind reader. Even my husband who I've been married to for a, a while now, he doesn't know unless I communicate it. So the first step is really taking some time to identify what do you want your boundaries to look like and ensuring that it's about keeping your side of the street clean and not trying to change someone else. So what do I need in my interactions with other people? Maybe I'm not okay with someone yelling, like I said before. Okay, so how do I communicate that in a way that is loving and respectful to those around me, but that also honors my need in that moment? And it could look like I'm not okay with yelling during our interactions. If it continues, I'm going to have to take a step. So it's not only setting the boundary, but it's also taking the action if the boundary is violated. And with that, we got to communicate it in a way that someone hears. So you guys have said that you guys have been doing your work. You know that like if someone sets a boundary or this is the lingo that we use, if you're interacting with someone that doesn't understand, you may need to form it a different way where they can hear it. So Gretchen Rubin, she's one of my favorite authors. She says a personal policy. This is my personal policy that I don't engage in meetings past this time. So this, it's really her boundaries, but she uses personal policy because that is a way that more people can hear it. So you may need to adapt it to your audience. That's such a good idea because, I mean, we, Christina and I talk all of the time with our clients about like, some people aren't ready to be talking about body image or dieting or stuff in an open situation because they don't understand that they're contributing to the problem or they can't see that they have their own body image stuff that they're just, they're just projecting on other people, right? So learning a way to speak their language can be really helpful. So in that light, how can people, listeners to the show, 
how like body image is a very hard thing to talk about, right? Because we, you know, speaking of Brene Brown and shame and everything, like we never want to admit that there's something wrong, right? This is why eating disorders go diagnosed for so long. This is why people don't talk about trauma or acknowledge it for so long and as well as not really knowing that it was trauma, right? But so when we're thinking about body image and body dysmorphia and just like struggles with our bodies in general, how can people start to set boundaries with loved ones making comments about their bodies, especially when we're thinking about this time of year, a lot of people are finally re-entering the workforce or like going back to see family or friends post-COVID. So it depends on your personality. So if you have a direct personality, you're going to want to set direct boundaries and be very clear about it. If you are a more like quiet or passive person, setting a direct boundary will be out of your comfort zone. It'll be out of the norm and it'll more likely have pushback because it's so out of character for you. So it's really important that we create these boundaries in a way that's authentic to us. For especially like body image, I have a client right now and her mom is pretty toxic in the way that she communicates about what she eats or her body and what it looks like. It could be, hey mom, I'm not okay with you talking about my body or what I eat. If it continues, I'm gonna have to get off the phone or I'm going to have to limit social interactions or whatever that action step needs to be if the behavior continues. Now, it's a little too much for this podcast specifically, but let's say that it's someone that you can't have space from for whatever reason, then we need to work on those internal boundaries on how can I protect myself internally and not let what that person says have the same impact that it has had on me previously. I think one, I, I want to go back to the personal policies and I, I would ma- imagine that something that might be really helpful for someone who's a little uncomfortable, like you said, they've never done it before, or it's really out of character. Um, I would imagine that maybe one of the first steps for setting boundaries would be writing your own personal policies. Like, what are you willing to tolerate? What are you not willing to tolerate? What feels safe to you? What feels unsafe to you? in having dialogue um, with others. And maybe it's just starting off there. I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not a therapist. But I am curious on what your thoughts would be about for someone who's uncomfortable. Like, how do you work through that? Like, setting it, creating them, defining them, and then putting them into place. Like, that'd be scary. I mean, I know because I used to be scared to do that. <laughs> and that's actually, I created a whole boundaries course because this is the same question I keep getting over and over again. And there's so many different components to it. So like we talked about trauma before, our trauma also sets us up for some boundary issues. So depending on what our trauma history looks like, if we were taught that it's not okay to speak your truth or say your needs and wants, you're going to have a really hard time setting boundaries because of your trauma. And so we don't want to just override the trauma and push through it because that could cause some other issues. So we have to work on the trauma so that we can set the healthy boundaries. But like you said, it's so important to actually take the time to say, okay, what do I want and need in my relationships? Like what makes me feel safe in a relationship? What kind of interactions do I have, want to have with others? And we can't communicate our boundaries if we don't know what they are. And they're going to look different for every single person. So you are going to have different boundaries with Dana than you are with your toddler. You're going to have different boundaries with me because you just met me versus, you know, someone that's been in your life for a long time. And so Starting with, I'm actually, it seems counterproductive, but I'm going to have you start with someone that doesn't have as much impact on your life. 
so that you could build the courage to have the hard conversations. Because if you start with the hardest person in your life, it's going to be scarier. You're not going to have the confidence that you need. And likely you'll back down from that versus if you're able to like, okay, first I'm going to set boundaries with the person at the coffee shop that keeps getting in my space versus that big person that you've had all these issues with or your mom that you have 20 years of trauma with, you know? Yeah. You know, it made me think like the stakes are lower, right? Like it's like, there's a less emotional at stake when you're learning to set boundaries with the barista who like doesn't spell your name right. And you're like, I'm tired of this. <laughs> like, like whatever it is, you know, like, I don't know. It's something small, like, or, um, versus like you said, your mother who you have 20 years of, 20 years plus of like, of like communication stuff going on. Um, and they're probably stuck in their ways and it's going to be a lot more challenging, you know? So that makes, that makes so much sense. And, um, so, um, I guess that's your, I guess that would be the advice that you'd give someone for dipping their toes into boundary setting, right? Like by starting, starting with those small things and defining them first for what they're going to look like. What are you going to tolerate from the Starbucks barista? And, always checking your motives. Is my motive to try to control them? Or is this about protecting myself? Is this about my side of the street? Or am I jumping onto theirs? Because if I jump onto theirs, it's not a boundary, it's manipulation. And I see that misconstrued so much. And so always checking your motive, because the behavior could look the same. But if you're coming from an ill place, it's going to impact you negatively and the person you're interacting with. That's such a good point too, because I'm thinking about it from, and I'm sure Dana, I can see Dana nodding along, is that a lot of times we'll see people um, being really hard on other people, right? They're doing this work on their own and they're learning all these different things. We're learning about diet culture. We're learning how all these things have happened to us or even like um, things by loved ones that have been put on us and a lot of times when people are first getting into this, there's like an anger inside that I think is a really valid, a valid emotion to have towards everything. Um, but I think sometimes when we're, when we're setting boundaries, it can be more of like, I'm going to teach them what's up. And I think when we have that perspective, I think what you're saying is too, like, it's, it's kind of misplaced, right? Like it's placed on them rather than I'm going to protect myself from this and if they're, if, and when they're ready to start understanding why I'm setting these boundaries, um, I'm happy to explain it to them, <laughs> you know? Right. Like there's a big difference. And when we're coming from that anger perspective, it's triggering trauma. So if you think of like your reactions on a scale of zero to 10 with zero being like numb, no reactivity and 10 being like explosive emotion around it, anything above like a four or five is triggering past trauma. So if we're talking about boundaries in this situation and the anger is above a five, they may not be at the best place to be able to communicate the boundary in a healthy way because it's so loaded with all the things. Do you think that also if somebody has, whether it's a 10 or whether it's a five, anytime they're in that zone, if they have been able to start setting boundaries with other people and now they've come to realize like, oh my gosh, with this person or this situation in the past, I wasn't able to set those boundaries. Do you find that some of your clients are then like part of that anger is kind of inwardly directed of like, oh my gosh, how could I have let this happen to myself because I wasn't setting those boundaries for so long and then it makes the trauma even worse? Yes. So what happens there is there's so much guilt and shame 
for what we allowed to happen for so long or what we didn't know was unhealthy. And now we're like, how could I not have seen that the last 20 years of these interactions were not helpful for me? And that like beating ourselves up. And so a lot of it is practicing that negative self-talk. So we got to stop that itty bitty shitty committee that is on in our head. (laughs) And that means that we have to stop that negative self-talk, that berating ourselves, all of those things so that we can learn to love ourselves enough, which goes back to the reparenting, learning to love that little girl, meet those needs that weren't met as a kid so that now we can be that functional adult that's setting those boundaries as that 30 something year old versus that eight-year-old that's just stuck in that reactivity. Can we all just take a moment to laugh about Itty Bitty Shitty Committee? Like, that is one of the best little phrases I've ever heard. We call it the inner mean girl in our course, the body image audit, but I, I feel like we need to change it to the Itty Bitty Shitty Committee. <laughs> and I'm really mad that we didn't come up with that. Talking about it, that Itty Bitty Shitty Committee is really not just your voice, but it's also the people that you have trauma with. So if your mom was making negative comments about your body, those mean girls at school, like that committee is strong because it's not just your voice. It's like 10 other voices. So, And we see this all the time when people are, when they're in that anger stage of like, how could I have let diet culture do this to me? Or how could I have put up with, or you like, like not even seeing all of these little, like Becky was talking about in our episode, um, with the fitness industry when we were talking about, you know, just like little microaggressions toward marginalized bodies in the fitness industry. But you don't see that when it's, or it's harder to see when it's so veiled in different things. So like to use an example, over the holidays, I remember talking with Christina about this, and I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but I was playing like a card game with my family and I had never realized before, it was also a new game, but I had never realized before how much fat shaming there is in these kinds of card games because I just was not really like looking for it. You know, it's supposed to be like a comedy card game and whatever. And like some of the other stuff in there is funny. Some of it is like, ooh, really dark humor. And then some of it is just like, I had such a visceral reaction that like, this is a part of the culture that is so ingrained in us. And then there comes that anger, right? Or if you're finally, you know, if you've been working on your body image stuff and your relationship with food, and then it's the first holiday that you've had with family after that, and you're just realizing, oh my gosh, of course I was so hurt by all of these comments because people just throw these around like it's nothing and they don't even realize how harmful it is. Yes, it's like we were talking about before. It's normal to us, so we don't really see the dysfunction. And then when we see the dysfunction, it's so overwhelming and it hits you in the face. Like it is that baseball to the face kind of feeling. And that's where we learn those internal protection boundaries. And that's how can I protect myself despite all of the chaos? And how can I not let what everyone else says or the card games or the media not impact me in a way that it once did and not let it define me? How can I protect myself and know that I'm okay? And I don't even have to let any of that stuff into my boundary. I just kind of brush it off. Real quick, going back to when we see the dysfunction and we start seeing it, with that, we need to do some grief work because we totally popped the the bubble on the fantasy of what we thought our life looked like, what we thought our relationships looked like, all of those things. And that involves grief work. So it sounds silly, but we need to grieve the loss of what we wanted our relationships to look like, grieve the loss of 
our family, those types of things. How can not having boundaries or not having boundaries respected be harmful for our mental and emotional health? So when we don't have boundaries in place or our boundaries are not respected, it's reinforcing all of those negative beliefs from childhood. So I don't matter. I'm not worth it. It's not okay to have a voice. All of those things just get reinforced and stronger and stronger and stronger. And unfortunately, what happens is the stronger those messages are, the less strength we have to fight against them. And so then it, t- it becomes harder and harder to get out of that because that's what we know. And that's what we believe down in our, we start to believe right down in our core instead of the truth that I do have value just by being alive. Like my worth and value is not contingent upon other people's views of me. And when we set those boundaries, but then they're not honored, and we don't take action steps against it, we're telling other people, again, that it's okay to mistreat me and I don't matter. Versus that healthy part of us, when we're able to set those boundaries and then take the action step when they continue to be violated, we're that's an act of self-love. So we're telling ourselves, I matter enough that I'm not going to let this continue. And it's really hard. So when we're setting boundaries, we also need to Like when you were talking about before, kind of like writing down what our boundaries need to be and what they are going to look like, we also need to look at, okay, what's my action step going to be if my boundaries continue to be violated? Because if I set a boundary and I don't have a way to enforce it, then the message I'm giving to everyone when they violate my boundaries is it doesn't matter. Now, again, this is about checking our motives because it's not about punishing the other person for violating our boundaries. It's about what do I need to do to protect myself because I've communicated my boundary and it's not being respected. Can you give some examples of those action steps, right? Of kind of like the enforcer, right? Like, so we've tried to set the boundaries and maybe there's somebody or just things that you're being exposed to that continue to violate those boundaries, whether you're in control of that or not. So for example, like if you keep being exposed to triggering stuff on social media, you can just unfollow those people, right? Like that's kind of on you. But in other, most other situations, you don't really have control over that. So if you have tried to set those boundaries and people are just not respecting them, what do you think are some of the most powerful action steps that you can remind people of, of, okay, this can be your backup plan if the first plan doesn't work. So again, communicating it with love, but then it could be like I talked about before, if you continue to bring it up, mom, I'm going to have to get off the phone or I'm going to walk out of the room if the yelling continues, or I'm going to go take a drive. And unfortunately there are some situations where we may not be able to be in relationship with that person anymore, or we need to create a lot more distance. Maybe I'm used to going to someone's house for weekly family dinners, but I can't do that because of that toxic environment. So I'm just going to have to be holidays now because my boundaries are not being honored. And it's important to remember with boundaries is just because you set this boundary now doesn't mean that it has to be the lifelong boundary forever. They can change depending on where you get, whether that other person changes or not, whether you're stronger that, okay, maybe they're not changing, but now I have that internal boundary and it's stronger that I can be in relationship with them and it not impact me the same way. Or it may be, okay, before I said we need some space. Now I'm saying I can't be in this relationship anymore because it is too toxic, even though I've done my work. And in, in the workplace, the boundaries could look different. So maybe you're used to someone goes into your office and takes a pen all the time. Okay, 
if you continue to mess with my pens, I'm going to have to lock my drawers in my office, you know, or I'm going to put an obnoxious flower on it so that you don't take it anymore. What, and those sound silly, but whatever we need to do in order to kind of affirm ourselves enough that our boundaries matter. And so I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of myself. Thank you. Those are wonderful. And I think they're um, really accessible. Um, as you said, like as you work on dipping your toes into it, right? Like it's accessible once you can really um, internalize and honor your own boundaries and know what's your truth. I think it will be a lot easier to execute that. Um, so in that vein, um, I'd love to hear what other resources you have around setting boundaries, like any books you have, your own course you kind of like mentioned very slyly in there, which I'd like you to elaborate more on. It's a course and it goes through like, okay, how did you get set up for your boundary issues in childhood? And there's a workbook along with it with worksheets on like, okay, let's dig deeper. What are some cultural messages I have around boundaries? Because there are certain cultures where it's not okay to speak your truth and you just go along with it and it's not okay to assert yourself in these ways or these are what the norms are. And we got to look at, because sometimes we just have to practice that internal boundary because the consequences of setting a an external boundary are too great. So we also have to determine that. And that course helps us kind of differentiate between the two, look at the cultural messages, the childhood trauma associated with it. And then also how do we set boundaries? It has a list of a bunch of different boundary prompts, boundary affirmations that you can share with yourself to help strengthen your ego strength around setting boundaries, common boundaries in the workplace and relationships with kids, with extended family, all of those things. Um, and also there's a bonus in there right now that's how to find the right therapist for you. And then questions to ask your therapist to dive deeper around boundaries. Because like you guys said, you need someone else to process this with. Like setting boundaries and learning boundaries is not a solo process because we also have blind spots and we have trauma that's impacting our view of things. So a therapist can help us keep accountable and be like, mm, are you saying this out of love or out of anger? Like maybe that's control and not a boundary. All of those things. I'm super excited about that. I also have a blog. And you can find that on my website that has a couple different articles about boundary setting and healthy mental health. And then if anyone is in Arizona and looking for a counselor and they don't currently have one, my information is on there too, if they want to. So I appreciate you guys having me on so much. And your podcast is such a blessing to me personally and so many people I know. So thank you. Thank you so much. So in addition to your course, Tell everybody all of the social media and everything. So I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Courageous Living AZ. And then my website is www.courageouslivingaz.com. And it has all the things. Hey friends, it's Christina. Thanks for listening to the Whole Hearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies using wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning how we can work with me or Dana for one-on-one nutrition counseling, or you want to check out one of our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. See you next week. 
now I can stop my recording. My mouse isn't moving. 